Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Hello, lovely Stop the Killing listeners, or STK as I like to abbreviate it. Catherine and I are currently working on season three of Stop the Killing, but we've built such a fabulously supportive community of listeners over the last two seasons, we don't want to leave you with an STK-shaped hole in your podcast downloads. So we'll be adding in a series of episodes on the Thursday feed with listener questions, which is where you come in. We would love to hear your questions, so please message us at Stop the Killing Stories on Instagram, or if Twitter is your jam, STK Podcasts. And in the meantime, if you want to stay abreast of when season three will be kicking off, then make sure to follow us on Instagram at Stop the Killing Stories. Or if you're one of our ever-growing Patreon supporters, you'll be the first to know and have early access to season three over on patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Plus, of course, access to all the usual bonus content and ad-free episodes. And talking of ad-free episodes, trust me, I get ads can be super annoying. But if you're listening on the usual platforms with ads, please just remember by supporting our sponsors, it is one way that you can support the podcast. We really couldn't make the podcast without the support of those sponsors. And with all that admin out of the way, time for this week's episode. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, 
head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. So we're doing our listener question on this bonus episode, and we've got a listener question from Liz. She's, I think, Instagrammed in from memory. And this is what she said. I find this podcast very informative. Thank you very much, Liz. That's the aim. Thank you, Liz. Check. (laughs) Check, check. I'd like to know culpability of employers if employees do bring their concerns to the employer. An example is the VTA workplace in San Jose, California on the 26th of May, 2021. As an aside, I went to grade school with a shooter and all I can tell you is that he was very quiet. So, you know, a few bits in there to pull out. Interesting that she went to school with a school shooter as well. But do you know anything about this case that she's talking about, the VTA workplace in San Jose, California? I don't have the facts of the VTA shooting in my head and in my hand, so I can't address that specifically, but I do recall, you know, it was a workplace shooting situation, right? When a shooting occurs, this is one of the things that I try to stress. I have a chapter in my book about businesses. And a lot of times everything in business is you're either in the, you make us money or you cost us money. And so employees, you cost us money, but salespeople make us money. So there's things that are considered cost centers versus profit centers. And the cost centers, security is always considered a cost center. It doesn't make us any money. And I think that one of the things that I try to address when I talk to my corporate clients and I addressed in the book and that I would urge anybody out there in the business world to appreciate and understand is that in the long run, security is a high cost when you don't do it right. And that doesn't mean you do it expensive, but it's a high cost. So for instance, when one of the most egregious shootings that we had here, the Live Nation shooting in Las Vegas occurred, the hotel involved who was the owner actually physically owned the ground where the shooting occurred, the MGM uh, Mandalay Bay shooting, they paid million, which was $49 million over their insurance coverage. They paid an $800 million settlement to people involved in that shooting. And that was just one of the lawsuits, one of the many, many lawsuits that were settled. And so when a shooting occurs at a place of business, it's incredibly expensive for that place of business for a few different reasons. Chief amongst them is they lose employees. So then they have to hire and retrain employees. Then, of course, the bad publicity. And I'm not saying that those are more important than also the potential death of employees or injuries of employees. So there are all these bad things that happen that cost the company financially and reputation-wise and things like that. So a lot of times I will hear companies say, security doesn't make us any money. And I think, you know, yeah, but it'll cost you a lot of money. So that's one thing that I think companies, they're coming around the idea of you want to have insurance policies to cover your products and you want to have locks on your doors. You want to discourage people from coming in. But the question that Liz asked was, what kind of responsibility do corporations have? Her specific question was, what responsibility employers have if an employee has already warned the employer? There's a different layer there as well. It is, they have responsibility, Liz, from the beginning, even if they're not warned. So when you talk about a situation where a random person comes in off the street that no one's ever seen before and shoots up a building and kills some employees inside, all of those, even if they had no warning, 
there are going to be lawsuits and there are going to be things that are filed against the company and the company is going to pay out even without any information because under the law, under federal laws that we have here, OSHA laws, we call them occupational safety, health safety. And I'm confident that this is not uncommon around the world. Under federal law here in the States and every place else, I'm confident of this, she says as a lawyer, employers have a responsibility to take care of the health and safety of their employees, just generally, right? That's why machinery has guards on it now so that you can't put your hand in it and have it all chopped off. There are these requirements that have been passed through, especially since the industrial age, saying, look, an employee has an obligation to protect the safety of its employees. So when you talk about, from a lawyer standpoint, any potential danger to an employee that is reasonably foreseeable, okay, maybe 50 years ago, we wouldn't have said in the legal world that a mass shooting or any type of shooting, mass killings was reasonably foreseeable, but it is now. It well, is that's now. tragic, but true. Yes. And there have been decisions legally in federal resources and analysis that say it's reasonably foreseeable that this is a potential danger to employees. Because of that, employers need to teach their employees, you know, how to run, hide, fight. They need to make sure that they provide reasonable safeguards from a security standpoint, locks on doors and things like that. And this gets to Liz's question that they also ensure that they don't have a danger from within. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. In the original research that I wrote for the FBI, she says, because she's sitting in her office. Something prepared earlier. No, it's just that I refer to this so often. I still have it here. This was released by the FBI in 2014, but this was the original research. Those of you who are listening and not watching, Catherine's holding up her FBI research booklet. Yeah, I was going to say research that is available online at the FBI.gov, search active shooter. But this research with this fancy name that I gave it, a study of active shooter incidents in the United States between 2000 and 2013. Kind of catchy. It's really sexy, you know. <laughs> Did the FBI not have like a marketing department that could help with the title? No, <laughs> no, they didn't. And I'm totally responsible for that title. So, <laughs> it's all my fault. hey, say it like you see it, Catherine. That's right. I wanted people to know what they were getting. No <laughs> false it. advertising here. No. When we did this research, one of the things that surprised me the most about businesses. I didn't really expect. We found that the majority of incidents in the United States that are these kind of 
what we think of now as mass shootings, but active shooters occur in places of business. So more like half of them occur in places of business, not schools, not parks. So places of business, biggest risk. So I told my team, you need to tell me, is that a place of business that pedestrians come through where it could just be any random person? Or is that just a place of business where it's all closed down like a manufacturing plant or a packing stuff? My team told me that was a crazy request. And I was the boss. So I said, okay, do it anyway, just appease me. But there was a real reason why I wanted to do that. One of the things that we found out is that in places of business closed to pedestrian traffic, you know, not the big box stores, not the malls, not the strip malls, not the movie theaters, in places of business that are closed to pedestrian traffic, almost every shooter came from within. I think there were 23 in this research project, 23 shootings that were closed businesses, 22 shooters from the business, four of them fired the day of the shooting. I had that very conversation and I pulled that stat because it stuck in my head with my husband just the other day when we were talking about where he works. And I asked him that question. I said, do you have a policy when people are either moved out of their roles? And he looked at me a bit shocked, but I think there is one in place. But, you know, that is a really astounding stat. Your threat in a business which is closed to pedestrian traffic is more likely inside. And Mm. so... You can't just think, okay, as long as we put bars on our windows, you have to take care of your people inside. So to Liz's question, what if they knew something? And we just had this occur recently in San Antonio, Texas, where a lady was talking to a guy at the office and the guy at the office was talking about how he was going to go shoot up someplace, maybe the school, maybe the business. And that that was on a Friday. And on Monday, she came to the employer and said something to him, or could be a her. She came to the employer and said, look, this guy said these things. And the police were called. The police went to the subject's house. Turns out that the subject's dad knew the guy had purchased a gun recently or was, in fact, going to probably do something like this. So when you talk about what is an employer's duty, the employer has a duty because Defense counsel is going to pick up my research and say, the FBI says that your shooter is from inside. You have an obligation. This is a reasonably anticipatory situation that you might have a threat from inside your business. So when you talk about somebody randomly comes in and shoots up a place and then a corporation spends $25 million settling lawsuits or going through court, that's for a random person who comes in. Imagine how much higher the damages will be for that company if the company has information and doesn't act on it. So it's a long-winded answer to say there is absolutely an obligation, Liz, but the fact that they might have known information and not acted on it in a responsible way, at least reporting it as best they could, may make the damages even worse. They do have a responsibility either way. Gosh, if I was an employer... I would be listening up to that. You're completely culpable. We do live in a litigious society and everybody wants redress. Everybody wants their injury, you know, responded to. You know, people want to feel whole. They want justice. And sometimes they can't get it in plenty of different ways. But this is the best way for them to get it, I think, in their minds. 
Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now.